Welcome to the Weekly Beat by Mansa with your hosts Arnold Segawa, Maggie Mutesi, and Dumi Jere, giving you all the info on Africa's big finance and economic stories. The Weekly Beat by Mansa. Greetings and welcome to uh, this uh, particular edition of uh, Mansa's The Weekly Beat. As always, I'm uh, your host, Arnold Sagawa, with uh, my other co-hosts, uh, Dumi Jerry and uh, Maggie Mutasi. And today we do have a, a guest with us, uh, Damali Sali. She's uh, our regional uh, trade development expert. I want to say regional, but I guess she does cover much of sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, greetings to uh, all of you. Uh, let me start with you, Maggie. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much, Arnold. Um, I'm excited that we're having a second woman today. Yay! Tamali, <laughs> <laughs> good to have you on. Uh, thank you so much, Arnold and Maggie. Whoa, what a welcome. Uh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Dumi, how are you keeping today? How's, uh, how's the week been? I am fantastic. I am fantastic. And you should actually say congratulations to Chelsea for winning the UEFA Champions League. <laughs> uh, all I heard there is uh, congratulations to N'Golo Kante. Thank you. Know, you. Someone who in 2014 was playing in a, a little known, what, second, third division of the French uh, leagues. And uh, uh, he's gone on to win the World Cup. He's gone on to... Is, is a real juggernaut and uh, it just exemplifies each and everything that uh, sport should be, you know, if you work hard and uh, put in the time. Uh, but uh, today's theme is not uh, Chelsea Football Club. Today we're actually uh, looking at trade. Just the other week, uh, the WTO, that's the World Trade Organization members, they actually uh, released their report. And uh, it went on to show that uh, WTO members submitted more than 3,000 notifications. This is about uh, product requirements for traded goods uh, in line with the technical barriers to trade committees. This has been going on uh, since 1995. The number of notifications actually uh, submitted to this particular committee has grown by an average of uh, 11% per year. And uh, it's it's quite interesting, you know, these notifications. It's like uh, uh, being in class back when we were in primary school and there was always someone who's complaining. One of the biggest complainants, uh, should I say regional-wise, is uh, the East African region, specifically Kenya, Rwanda, Tanzania, and Uganda, always bickering, hey? It's only fair that uh, we first hear from uh, uh, the two women uh, to just uh, give us their thoughts on this. Dumi, I'll come back to you later. Let me start with uh, Damali first. Um, your thoughts on uh, all these notifications and uh, the East Africa community taking a huge bunch of them? Ah, yeah, I, uh, I I read the report and I was, you know, surprised and not surprised. Surprised at how prolific we are as East Africans uh, in notifying the the, the WTO uh, uh, that we are really good. We appear to be really good at doing that, but not surprised because I know we've been having a lot of uh, uh, NTBs and TBTs uh, amongst each other. Tanzania has been uh, having issues with Uganda's sugar. South Sudan, uh, our truck drivers, Ugandan truck drivers, when they, uh, I think two or three of them were killed in South Sudan. Kenya has been having ongoing issues with Uganda, with dairy, chicken, and most recently maize. And then Rwanda for the last two years, uh, I'm not so sure what uh, Rwanda and Uganda have been having, but for some reason, Ugandan goods cannot uh, enter the, you know, the Rwandese territory. So not surprised that, yes, there are very many notifications from the East African community, but surprised at how prolific we are at, at notifying. And I would have wished that we were as prolific uh, in trying to sort them out on a bilateral level uh, as we are in notifying. I think that may be more helpful because, you know, the notification in itself, uh, it's good. 
yeah, you report and we know exactly what the issues are. But it's even better when there is a resolution and the notification itself doesn't lead to a resolution. It's more engagement and discussions that uh, lead to resolutions. And for me, it also bothers me because what does this mean for the CFDA if we are reporting each other to this extent, uh, which indicates or implies that there are so many problems. What implications does this have for the CFTA where we are supposed to be trading more with each other, uh, but most importantly also with non-ESC countries like the DRC uh, for Uganda, the DRC, which is soon, hopefully soon, going to be joining the ESC. But even then you wonder, even if the Democratic Republic of Congo joins the ESC, the ESC itself, which has been together for a while, is having so many problems with, uh, you know, with itself, the different countries are having problems with each other. Uh, what what difference would that make? But then, you know, on the other hand, I'm also wondering, because I was looking at the report, and uh, yes, the ESC is reporting the most, but also we have to be cognizant of the fact that uh, the East African community, uh, year on year, has been reported as the most integrated bloc on the African <laughs> continent. So <laughs> I'm wondering that maybe we are, because we are so integrated, uh, we are so advanced that we would notify that much, and uh, maybe the other blocs are just not notifying, not that they don't yeah. have problems. It could be that they're just not notifying. That, that's, you know, one, one argument. Or the other argument could also be that they're not notifying because maybe they're dealing with their issues, re, you know, resolving them themselves instead yeah. of going yeah. to an external arbiter, which uh, ideally that's the best, really, that would be the best uh, way to resolve issues is to really resolve them bilaterally rather than um, be more prolific in notifying rather than uh, really dealing with the matters and, deal, and, and yeah. taking them out. Uh, Dumi, your thoughts on that? Uh, Damali has just unpacked uh, quite a number of uh, issues. Um, just give me your first reaction to this. I think she took a point that I was about to make around how the East African community is always regarded as the one that is more integrated in terms of doing trade with each other, as well as um, ease of movement, tourism perspective and all of that. But then you hear all of these notifications against the member countries and then you wonder, hmm, is it a facade? Is someone pulling uh, <laughs> uh, a fast one on us? But um, yeah, notwithstanding that, um, I think um, it shows that there's a lot of activity. I think uh, that's one way to look at it. And that's really positive. The member states from East Africa, they could be doing all of this to, uh, in an effort to drive you know, transparency by making all of these things come out to the fore. And so I think um, good and positive as well as bad, but uh, we choose to focus on the positive as always. You know us on this show. Well, I'll speak for myself. Uh, yeah. Uh, Maggie, is this, in your view, a sign that uh, maybe the WTO is uh, relevant? I remember a few episodes back, I did say it's uh, where you go to retire. You're quoting yourself. You know that. But that's from my last episode. The East African community, I usually keep saying, we might be the privileged children, the privileged uh, block that don't really realize it. There's been so much progress. And I think when you're used to this kind of transformation and then you, you see steps being taken back, there's that sense of accountability. I understand when Damali says, you know, we, we've been used to this kind of transformation. And now when, when there is that gap, we tend to want to know or notify all of this. There are lots of blocks, of course, uh, the ECOWAS that are still really struggling. And sometimes when we do stories and we look at the progress the ESC has made, it could be envious. But again, I think the fact that we've got to this level, maybe there is a chance that the WTO actually could resolve our things, Arnold, which brings me back to your previous comments in a couple of episodes ago. There might be a chance that the WTO could change a few things, uh, you know, for example, what we're seeing of these notifications. Those kind of checks and balances, I would say, are really good. So 
there is any progress made and there is um, steps taken backwards, there has to be some some bit of accountability to what really happened. And this actually should be done with the AFCFTA as well. I've always had issues with the, the WTO because uh, it's, it's like... Uh, kind of a, a Zondo commission, if I'm to use the South African example, where you just set up all these uh, commissions <laughs> and uh, people light up and some people say, oh, me, I'm not appearing like uh, former president Jacob Zuma. Uh, but uh, the example that I always use for the, mm. the WTO is uh, the, the, the fake Range Rover, you know, the, the land wind, uh, which is uh, made in China. You know, it looks just like a Range Rover. Even the name, uh, you know, the land wind has the same font that uh, the Range Rover would have. And it's, it's quite baffling that uh, the WTO does not take heavy rulings on some of these. Um, and putting this in mind, you know, and you go to the WTO website and you see, you know, the European Union taking the complainant being Malaysia. There's a list, you know, there's Costa Rica and Panama, there's uh, China and Australia. There's so many of these. They're just littered across the, the website. And the question then remains... Are these particularly enforceable if uh, someone goes out there and reports to the class teacher? Uh, but uh, something else I wanted to bring uh, Damali in for is the issue around intra-Africa trade, which has always been down. And I'm now sitting on the fence because if uh, East Africa community alone accounts for, what, 26% of all the notifications submitted in 2020 and intra-Africa trade is still below 15 16%, are we spending more time actually bickering and reporting ourselves, well, each other to uh, our overlords uh, in Switzerland? Or is this actually a sign that uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel and we actually want to resolve some of this stuff? You did mention the issue around more bilateral talk, but you can see we're struggling with this table here. It's like so many moving parts at uh, one time. Emily? Uh, yeah, I I have the same concerns about uh, intra-Africa trade, especially the implications of on the continental free trade area. I'm of this view that uh, being in a regional economic bloc is kind of like a long-term relationship. So if every time you have a, a little fight, you go to court or you bring the lawyers in to arbitrate, that long-term relationship may not be sustainable. So that's why I usually advocate for bilateral engagements and discussions. And we've seen this in the ESC. I remember when uh, the ESC three or four years ago, when it was looking at uh, the single customs territory, where we go to uh, Kenya, Rwanda, Uganda to uh, do the taxation via destination when the goods arrive in Mombasa. It worked really well. But you know what drove that? It was the political will. It was the relationships. It was the bilateral engagements. It wasn't an outside arbitrator imposing or, or dictating the relationship is consensual. So the discussions have to be bilateral. And we saw with the single customs territory, it worked really well. The discussions went ahead. The problems that I see now is that uh, they're also very much attached to the people, the political will. You know, somehow, because uh, over the last, I think, two or three years, we've been in elections. Each one ESC country has been in an election or the other. And the ball has taken off uh, ESC trade and more into the incumbents or the political players trying to see that they are elected, which, you know, of course, is expected last year, the number one priority when elections come around. I'm hoping that uh, now that that, you know, thing is over, the Elections are almost done with, in almost every country that we can get back now to actually discussing trade. And I saw that a little bit of that when uh, President Museveni was being um, confirmed as president. We saw almost all countries surrounding Uganda, East African countries, Kenya, Tanzania, South Sudan, DRC, Burundi, uh, of course, Rwanda didn't come. But those other four came and there were several discussions out of that uh, particular uh, 
you know, engagement. We saw Uganda and Kenya now agreeing to upgrade the meter gauge so that it can come from uh, Kenya through Uganda to the DRC. And then we saw, you know, we've seen the oil agreement signed with Tanzania. It has also helped. Uh, it appears that the new Tanzanian president, uh, a lady, uh, seems to be very much. <laughs> yes, I had to emphasize that. A lady seems to be very much, you know, interested in engaging. But they understand trade because they began trade in Africa. The strides being made by the female president of Tanzania, I think are evident. And that's why for me, it's, it's quite exciting. I just wanted to add that on. Sorry to cut you short. And I totally agree. There's been, in just a few months that she's been there, you could see she's traveled to Kenya. She's traveled to Uganda twice. Uh, she's gotten, you know, you know, she's really engaging and opening up in a much more, in a way that we haven't seen Tanzania open up, you know, as much. I like that. And then the Burundi president, when he was here, they've agreed to, okay, with Uganda to do, you know, a road with the DRC. So I, I feel like the political will is coming back, but it's mostly a factor of, you know, the politics in the individual yeah. countries having been put out after the election. So I'm I'm a little bit optimistic about that. I am of the view also that trade-related issues on the African continent uh, in the regional blocks, you know, let it be ESC, Comesa, ECOWAS, have to be sorted out by the individuals in those countries. That's the best way to sort it out. We can't bring in the court, i.e. the WTO, to arbitrate on every little matter, because then that isn't a relationship, you know. Like I go back to the long-term relationship. If you have to go to court and bring in the lawyers every time you have a little fight, then it's just not working <laughs> and you'll never be able to trade them. So it has to be individual best. We Africans have to sort out the African issues in our African ways. In, and if we really want it to work, otherwise you can't always be bringing in, you know, from the outside to um, coordinate you guys from within. Mm. It's just not sustainable. And of course, they do cost an arm and a leg to uh, bring in those very expensive lawyers. You can just tell from their fancy suits. Uh, guys were really running heavy. Um, your final two cents vis-a-vis uh, -vis investment. I'm going to start with you, Dumi. Throw over to Maggie. Then uh, I think Damali, you'll uh, wrap it up. But vis-a-vis uh, -vis investment, is this actually a sign that people are actually talking because some uh, regional blocks just uh, go on Twitter. We know a former president who just used to do all this bickering on Twitter. Is this a sign that much as there's problems, uh, people want to sort them out and show that we want to progress with a fair referee? Give me a sense of what you see that having for the region's uh, investment outlook, Dumi. I think for me, the free trade that um, Africa represents, um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a decisive step towards um, uh, the continent's long-held regional integration uh, aspiration. No one is going to come out of poverty on their own in terms of uh, the country. So increased intra-African trade between the member states, I think that's what is going to drive the economic development post, uh, you know, um, COVID-19. So the start of this free trading rekindles hope in the post-pandemic recovery. So I think, yes, people are beginning to talk and uh, they are talking to one another. There just needs to be more momentum that continues on the AFC-FTA. With that, I think um, we're going to see more um, investment, more developments um, on the continent at the end of the day. We're not going to get another opportunity to integrate uh, as a continent. And I think uh, this is our absolute last opportunity. So working together is the only way that uh, all the countries can uh, come out of this. Okay, Damali. 
Yes, I think around investment, uh, East Africa is well positioned and generally in the, Af- the African continent is well posed to have, you know, heavy investments in the next uh, uh, coming years, especially given the optimism we have around the CFTA. Of course, it will be dictated by how fast or how efficiently we move in implementing the CFTA. I would like to look at these uh, ESC notifications to the WTO, 26%. As a positive, maybe it shows transparency and openness and the fact that uh, it could show that we are much more advanced and therefore we are reporting more. So I'm more optimistic about our future and our integration than I was uh, before. But I still emphasize that we need to sort out our problems ourselves rather than going to the arbitrator. Thanks. Okay. Uh, thanks for that, guys. Uh, many thanks to, uh, as always, uh, my co-hosts, uh, Maggie Motasi, uh, Dumi Jerry, and uh, our uh, trade expert uh, this time around, uh, Damali Sally, joining us from uh, Uganda. If you missed anything in the course of the week, you can always uh, visit the website. That's mansamedia.africa. Also on Twitter to uh, keep in touch and uh, stay in touch with uh, everything that's transpiring on the continent, all the movers and shakers. Uh, just uh, check out at Mansa underscore media. I'm Arnold Sagawa. Thank you very much for listening. Have a lovely one. The Weekly Beat by Mansa with your hosts, Arnold Segawa, Maggie Mutesi, and Dumi Jerry, giving you all the info on Africa's big finance and economic stories. The Weekly Beat by Mansa. Mansa.